0: Good morning, in case you're new with us, my name is Chris Payton, I'm the lead pastor here, and up here are a panel of elders, because we are in a series, many of you guys know, we've been doing this series since the beginning of September called The Gospel And. So we would start with uh, The Gospel And uh, Mental Health, and then we did Sexuality. We did race, and last week, Pastor G. Yoon, our executive pastor, did a great job speaking on the gospel, and war, and really three kind of different types of war, cultural war, spiritual warfare, and physical war, which was a big, a lot to to cover. You did it in, you know, 45 minutes, so easy. Solve all the world's problems in one message, Uh, but because we know we can't do that, the next week with the Gospel in. We ask you guys to ask us some questions and we grab the top 10 most popular questions in order for us to be able to have this panel today. And you're gonna hear a lot about upcoming events, all the things going on. We've got our wrap sessions as you saw this coming Friday. You do not wanna miss the missions director. Kenny Franklin is going to be hosting us along with our awesome DNA team. We have the DNA team up here. If you can throw up that slide, our DNA team stands for Dialogue, News, and Action. And they actually come together to help us with rap sessions, but also help our church just think about how can we continue to be a diverse community with Dialogue with thought, with intention, but also then with action. What does that look like for the church to do that? So we want to invite you out to wrap sessions as we continue this conversation. And you'll see by the end of this, this is not a Q&A. It's not an answer. We don't have the definitive answer that all theologians have been fighting over for centuries. Uh, we have our, our responses. This is a Q&R. And we are going to respond to your questions. So Kenny is going to MC us today. Take it away.
1: Good morning, City Life. What's going on? What time is it? Is it second service? Good morning, City Life. What's going on? Oh, okay, all right. I just want to make sure everybody was alive. All right, great. Um, let me introduce you to the panel, Pastor G and Sierra Yoon. Hello. Elder Scott and Cindy Fiddler. See, I know who this is. All right. Pastor Chris and Casey Pate. And my favorite Elder J, who who has all the answers. He is Sway today. He has all the answers. Yeah. All right, listen, so what they do not know is I am throwing them a curveball for second service. So give me question seven, please. Can you briefly discuss what spiritual warfare is and how we can discern when it's time to fight in the spirit? I switched
2: it all up on us. I did, yes. Question seven?
1: Question seven.
2: Well, since I already said something on the mic, I can uh, start. I think um, spiritual warfare is a big topic. We discuss a little bit in, in first service. Um, it's typically, uh, we see a lot of either kind of one or the other. It's usually either people dismiss it altogether and think nothing is spiritual, or the other extreme is People think everything uh, if you sneeze, you know, we have to cast a demon out of you, you know, and and, and I've been in that I, I say that half jokingly, but I've been in environments like that and so it's it's very hard to not fall into the extreme camp one or the other, but we would be, we would be foolish to dismiss the fact that there is a spiritual world around us, that we have a real enemy who the Bible says is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And it can be very hard to discern what is spiritual warfare because there's many voices, right? We, we said in first service, um, you know, there's the voice of God there's the voice of the enemy, and there is our own flesh. And unfortunately, you cannot cast out flesh. I don't know if you knew that this morning, but uh, sometimes our battles are our own, of, of our own doing, and those are things that we can't cast out, necessarily, our, our flesh. But there, the, the key word in discern here is your relationship with Holy Spirit. And I would say that as um, as parents, as in a marriage, that's the key for us, because there is no formula A plus B equals C when, okay, because uh, again, it's easier to just say, well, it's all this, or it's none of this. And so... Um, to give you a very practical example of in engaging in spiritual warfare in our home, we've had many seasons of times where we felt like there was an attack on us because that is also a real thing. And again, I, I, there were some great responses in first service. I hope we'll be shared again about the difference between figuring out what is what is actually a spiritual attack on you and what is you know other things that we just were in this world and we live through it and stuff. Happens, and that's just part of being in this world. But, um, for instance, um, our our daughter, our 16-year-old daughter, who's on the front. Don't worry, honey, It's not anything bad about you. She's she's like, oh, what? I heard I heard my name. What's what's happening? But um, when she was when she was very young, um, there was just a series of very graphic, terrible, awful nightmares that she would have. And not just like, you know, the scary clown. It it was like her parents' heads were being cut off in her dream. Like it was extremely intense. And she was a small child. And there was a moment when we sat up and said, hey, I think this is spiritual here. I don't think that it was just bad pizza that Cadence ate, that she is having these kinds of dreams. And there are those times as parents, um, a lot of times, you know, uh, if you, you, you go to Google and you search or we, we call the doctor immediately, you know, we should do all of those things. But there are those moments when we say, whoa okay, I feel like something's happening here that's not normal. This is not a common, normal occurrence. And so the Bible gives us tools and gives us weapons in Ephesians 6, our spiritual, the, the spiritual warfare passage that says these are things that we can do to help yeah. battle in spiritual warfare. And so in those times... We took the sword, the spirit. We took the word of God and wielded that weapon and went to battle over our daughter. We prayed over her. We, when she was sleeping, we prayed over her dreams. And that's just one practical example. But the larger answer is it is hard to discern. And I think the only way that we can discern is a relationship with Holy Spirit to know when something is not it's out of the ordinary it just feels you know sometimes you just go through and you think everything feels hard or heavy or off and and things aren't connecting and coming together and there's there's thoughts that just that pop in that are really nothing that you would normally think in those moments sometimes we have to take a step back and go okay Maybe this isn't just the flesh, maybe this isn't just a germ we caught in our house and, and somebody maybe there is something spiritual happening and we have to be diligent as believers. And not just sit back and let the enemy attack us when he brings the barrage of lies and deception that go against what the word of God says. But the key is the relationship with the Lord to know and hear when he is speaking that it's time to go to battle or it's time to just endure something that God is working out in us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would add to that example, uh, we couldn't discern that just on our own. We had community that came alongside and did that. So we actually received a word from one of our pastors in every nation. And he told me like, you're under spiritualizing this. This is an attack. And he explained exactly what was happening in my home, like prophetically, and we're like, okay, yeah. And it took someone else on the outside going, you need to take this more seriously spiritually because we are under spiritualizing it. And so to that point, you don't have perfect discernment. You need the Holy Spirit, but you have blind spots. You have a booger in your nose, and you need somebody to go, hey, there's something wrong with you. You, you don't see this because you can't be so overconfident in your spirituality and your discernment that you dismiss community. But if you don't have that community, I, I would dare say you're probably going to fall into one of the other extremes.
1: Yep. That's good. That's, great. That's good. Let me get question one. what is the Christian stance on the death penalty? Is is death justified in the terrible crimes of others?
3: Okay, so Cindy just handed me the mic, so I think I'm supposed to speak on this. Um, So actually, I really like this question because it gives us an opportunity to talk about getting out of the left-right game. So I want to paint with a broad brush, but to make a point. So if you look at, the different viewpoints on the death penalty starting on the right with Republicans um, again painting with a broad brush I think many would say it is it should be easier to convict people and the death penalty should be applied more often if you go to the left uh, people would say that it should be harder to convict people and we shouldn't have a death penalty but if you go back and you look at the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy you find out that there were capital crimes but you had to have two eyewitnesses in order to enforce it. so in other words, there was harsh punishment but it was very hard to convict which lines up neither with the right or the left okay so this is why you know we need to get out of the right left game and, and go back to the Bible
1: Great. yeah Anyone else on this all right so so just so just to make sure I think I think you answered the first part second part is, is death justified in the terrible crimes of others? Is that what who has the answer to that one?
3: I would say yes, but but there's <laughs> there's procedural problems, right? Okay. I mean, but people can be put to death today based on a jailhouse snitch who's trying to get out of something they've been accused of. Right. I don't think that's biblical. Right.
1: Okay. Yeah. Facts. Exactly. I'm cool with that. Uh, <laughs> Question two, let me get question two. This is good, yeah, yeah. In the Old Testament, God often instructs the Jews to engage in war. Can war then ever be used to serve a godly purpose?
4: I'm supposed to answer this question, so. (laughs) Historical cultural context is critical to answer this question. So every culture, every history have a context, meaning what they were facing in that junction in history actually matters to answer, especially this specific question. In the Old Testament, we see God instructing Israel to ba- wage war against Philistines. You see very clear David and Goliath, everybody know of, and there is a purpose behind it. There is not just randomly God is just bloodthirsty, hungry for war. Just sending Jews to just battle everybody, but that's not the case at all. There is a context behind it. For example, at during that time in Israel, as they are coming into the land of Israel, there were a lot of false gods, a lot of false religions, a lot of religions that actually sacrifice babies. And so God, in his righteousness and in his ways, come in and say that is not going to be the way. And so God sets a precedence. Because why? Because God has chosen Israel to be the model, to be his people, to be his priest for all nations. And for that reason, God is modeling what it is to be like God's people. And so we see that very clearly playing out. Now, the story of Israel is interesting because they disobey God and then God had to bring in an enemy to suppress them and then God forgives them and it just repeat cycles. Can war? Than ever be used to serve a godly purpose, define godly. How do we define godly? How do we define, in the sense of a biblical worldview, I think we need to be very clear what and why is that they're actually going to the war. And so, if you go to Israel, if Israel is going to the war, it's not just for the war, for the war's sake, but is, there's a purpose behind that war. So, that's what I want to say as far as the war's going.
0: I said first service. Uh, there's probably a difference between uh, a war that serves a godly purpose and like holy war. Um, we, we wouldn't believe necessarily in a holy war. Uh, th- those kind of become uh, maybe somewhat can be uh, uh, nonsensical in the sense of what Christ has done. He comes in and brings a different spirit. So I like to think of in terms of even in the Old Testament when we say the word law, the actual Hebrew word is instructions. And the idea is that God gets his family and sits them down like maybe you would have a family dinner and says, this is how our family acts. This is why we are this way. And they are instructions. They are words that we value and live by. Um, And so we have to differentiate kind of law, some of these kind of things, which is why these are complicated questions that we can't answer, but we can respond to. I I think there are godly purposes, but you have to understand this. Um, not waging in some kind of holy war based on my tribe and my thing, because I think the church specifically has a different calling than the government. Um, And we're going to get into some of those questions, so they'll kind of uh, coalesce. But the church's responsibility is the same responsibility that Jesus came. He did not come with a sword, but he came as a lamb. And the way that he demonstrated love was through sacrifice, was through an upside down way of living. And that's what the church is called to do. We are called not to carry a sword and go force people to love God or do things our way. We are called, Jesus says, salt and light. We preserve and we bring light or life to a place. And we do that through our personal sacrifices, our putting down our preferences. And so... But, but you have to understand this, God will use ungodly people to perform justice. And, and you see that it's easy to look at Israel, like you mentioned, and they're waging war and God's telling them to kill these people. But then later, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, right? He allowed them to come and destroy Israel. And that was his will. Because he had to bring a sense of justice. And so God will allow you in certain ways to do some of these things. But I would say as Christians, what are we called to do? And there's a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law gives us grace to operate with people. And we're going to talk more about the nuance of that with other questions. So the the answer to the question is yes and no depending on uh, how you are in the context of the specific event to make a blanket statement one way or the other, I think is also dismissing the relational capacity of a relational, personal God versus just a law that we always follow.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, Let me get question three. Romans 13 says that all authorities are appointed by God. Is it wrong, then, for people to rise up against a government that they deem as unjust?
5: So I'm going to approach this a couple ways here. So (laughs) uh, authorities are appointed by God. That is true. That's what Scripture says. But authorities are not God. And so I think we have to be very clear about that. Um, We... I think where we start as believers, we start with, you know, it goes back to purpose, why we're created, why we're here, why they're here. And there is a, a way of conducting that honors God. When those things do not, they go away from God's care for people. Seeing, us seeing people as better as ourselves. I was at, I was just looking at um, Philippians 2 and it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. This This was the attitude that Christ had. And so when we look at authorities, are they caring for people or are they doing things in a way that is going against God's moral law? Well, first, before I know that, before I can say that, I have to know what God's moral law is. Okay. I can't just skip right to well. I, I, the, the second part of that is um, rising up against governments that they deem as unjust. Who's deeming them unjust? So if it, if it's me, if my agenda and my thoughts don't align with God's moral law, don't align with his care for people and, and, and caring as others is important, yeah. then is it, is it, you know, I think that's where we need to start. I don't want to be confusing. I think it's who is deeming it just or unjust, yeah.
6: mm-hmm.
5: and what, 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 where do you fall with that?
3: Yeah. yeah, and so I think context is important, too, and this was written by the Apostle Paul to the Roman Christians and written in the mid-first century. And the, at the time that he wrote this, the Roman emperor, the authority in the entire Roman Empire, was a guy named Nero Caesar, and Nero was a very, very bad guy. Uh, Nero used to um, take Christians and put them on poles and light them on fire to light his garden parties. Um, Cindy and I saw his uh, his palace; it's still there in Rome. We saw it about a month ago. He was a bad dude. He was the one that put. Paul to death, beheaded Paul, and had uh, Peter crucified upside down, and he started the first really bad persecution of the Christians. So this is who Paul is talking about uh, at the time when he writes this. So uh, as far as taking this in context, I think for the Roman Christians of the first century, this was an absolute. Okay, I think it's it can be more of a principle for us, uh, as I think Jay is alluding to as well. But for that time, it was right. And the reason you know it's right, it's just historically, you can look at the fact that the the Christians never revolted against the Roman Empire that was persecuting them repeatedly. And now we look back and historians look back and they go, it's amazing. They never revolted. It was a non-military revolution. The entire Roman Empire was Christianized. Uh, Constantine becomes a Christian in 312 AD. In 300, less than 300 years, the entire Roman Empire becomes Christianized. Churches are favored. Christianity becomes the prevailing religion. It's an amazing story. But imagine how it would have been different if Paul had not written this. If they had said, "Look, we have a right to rise up against the government because of the way they're persecuting us, we haven't done anything wrong." Right? What would the story be now? It would be much like, and I don't mean this to be offensive to, to Islam, but Islam since the 7th century has grown primarily through the use of force and through, where, certainly maybe not as much today, but certainly in the early days through the use of force and through having large families, right? Not through what we would
4: refer to as evangelism.
1: Yeah. You said something first service. I think you should say again. You want me to repeat that, right? Yeah.
4: Well, so good that you want me to <laughs> If you look at the, the government's role, church has their specific role, which is we have not the law of the world or the secular, but we do have the law of God. And when we say law of God, I'm including the entire Old and the New Testament. And, and I'll say this one. If you look at our country, there was wrong, especially in the, especially in the civil rights movement, Government was wrong, and so people, it was people, uh, really interesting if you think about it, whom God has chosen to lead this movement, which is also the man of God. Martin Luther King Jr. was a pastor who, with his nonviolence, had confronted this false ideology or the thoughts to change the mind of a people. And so yes, I do believe that there is a place but it has to align with god's moral law to be able to i think the word rise up against this you can take that in a very either way but i would say especially how mlk and his nonviolence have changed the mind of people and I'm, and how civil rights movement has led to the world we are today and i think that is what, what christians are called to do
5: so, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I want to start earlier than that. There were there were people in this in the United States in this country that that deemed the enslavement of others as wrong, yeah. right? And did something about it. That's right. That's right. That was what you know. I'm talking about well before the civil rights movement. We've right. got abolitionists. We've yeah. got people that are putting their own lives uh, and livelihoods yeah. at, at at in harm because that wasn't right. Yeah. Why wasn't it right? Because that's, mm-hmm. God created everybody with dignity in his image for his mm-hmm. purposes. And if, if, a, if an authority is not aligning with that, that doesn't align with, <laughs> with God's, what, what God said in motion. Yeah. So I would say abs- absolutely, but it depends on if it aligns mm-hmm. with God's moral law. It all goes, it all goes back to that.
2: Yeah. 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 I just, I wanted to say I think it's problematic in our modern society that politics have infiltrated our biblical worldview and so it makes it very difficult for people to say what is just and what is not because are you defining what is just based off of your preference of the way someone's leading and the decisions they're making i think we have to be careful with throwing around the word justice Um, Because I think a lot of people now define justice through the lens of their political party and not the biblical worldview lens of God, the one who is just, who defined what is just, and who is justice himself. And so I just think, I think it's clouded and I think it's become complicated because I think a lot of times instead of basing those decisions on what's just and what's not based off of what God says and how people made in his image should be treated and should be handled it's become a preference issue and it's a political party leading and I don't agree with their way that they're doing things so I don't think this is just and I just think I think that's problematic. I think we have to be really careful with that. And politics should have never infiltrated our biblical worldview. But unfortunately, it's come into the church. And now we have to deal with that. But it really should not have ever come in in the first place.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, I think so, so the answer is, it's not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's not wrong for that to happen. It's just how you go about bringing justice. Do you do it in a godly way? Because there's a difference between being right and being righteous. You might be right, but you're acting unrighteously. And we see that a lot in our culture. Yeah,
1: I think it's important to note as well, before we move on, it seems that the way that you guys have have answered on the panel can potentially be confusing to some because it seems as though in certain situations it's right, in other situations it's wrong. And so I think what's important to note that I think I hear all of you saying is um, being close to the heart of God, right? We, we, we are so easily able to trust God for things like salvation and spiritual blessing, but, but it's hard for us to, for God to be God of the nuance, right? And God is very much a God of nuance, where the closer we get to God's heart, we realize that he is asking us to do certain things in certain moments and asking us to to step back in other moments, right? And so he defines things like justice. He defines things like righteousness. And so it's not for us to create our own definitions of those things, but trust God with that nuanced space. And I think think that's what I hear you guys saying, um, because everything is a case-by-case basis. That's good. Um, Let's go to... Yeah, we'll do that. Let's go to question four. How can we be more aware of spiritual warfare in a healthy way? Not just focused on what is going on in the natural, but also not hyper-spiritualizing things. Yeah.
6: Okay, yeah. I'm going to... Um, Absolutely. This is a good question. And I think it's important to remember that Jesus gave an example of two men who built a foundation one was on sand which is shifts goes this way and that way and and then one was on rock and it he called it a firm foundation and the winds and the rains came against those two houses now what's significant is that no matter how you build, the wind and rain comes against you. Yeah. That's mostly something you have to stand. And how you stand depends on the foundation that you have in the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily spiritual. It's because you live here. Yeah. You live, you're a human, and you live on earth. And so I think most things are not that's spiritual. Uh, I had a conversation with a family member last year because her husband, her, her husband um, got COVID and was very, very sick. And she said it was the enemy. I said, no, it's because you're a COVID denier and you went out there without masks, anywhere you wanted to go. That's, and maybe that's wind and rain. Maybe it's because you don't have a firm foundation in Scripture and in what the Lord, how the Lord says for us to live. That's why we have the purple book all the time teaching it to give us a good foundation so that we know when things happen, whether it's the wind or the rain or whether, as uh, Casey talked about earlier, we need to go toward in the spirit. And I'll give you an example. When I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, I had a lot of people around me very upset with me. And I had some persecution. I was in a Baptist church. Some of the persecution came from my home and some came from people around me. That is spiritual warfare. And the reason I knew that is they were attacking the Word of God in my life. Not because I was dumb or because I did silly things or because I didn't understand that God wanted me to stand a certain way. Mm-hmm. So that, that's an example of um, how we can hyper-spiritualize things when it's just wind and rain. We cannot avoid wind and rain. Yeah, yeah. Just can't. Uh, there's a, uh, I think it's Winston Churchill who said... If you're going through hell, don't stop. <laughs> you know, you keep going because that's life. That's life. And so um, how we look when we come through the other side is how people know who we serve.
1: Yeah. It's right. so. great. Yeah,
4: she was talking. When I think about hyper-spiritual thing, I cannot help myself but mention the reference from the water boy, uh, Bobby Boucher's mother. Uh, Foosball is of the devil. Uh, I'm pretty sure everybody have that person, encountered that person in your life. And so not everything is of the devil. Um, But I will say since the beginning of the time, there has been a cosmic battle that's taking place. There's an invisible war that you and I do not see with our physical eye. That's why we say it's a spiritual war um, that there is a natural, the physical world, the realm that we are, but there's also the spiritual realm where the, the supernatural are being taken place. And so there's the forces of good and forces of darkness that are constant in battle. And so first thing, first thing that we have to recognize as a believers is that we cannot just say, well, that doesn't really exist. We need to recognize that there is the forces of darkness that are against the believers today, right now. And their whole mission and the, 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 their very existence is only to steal, kill, and destroy, get us away from the game, yep. the path that God has put to. So that's the first thing we need to do. We need to recognize that there is an enemy. If we don't recognize that there is an enemy, we're just fighting the air. But first, we recognize that there is an enemy. And number two, you have given a tool in ephesians 6 which casey mentioned earlier there's a whole list of things that that that, that god has given us you and me to battle this spiritual warfare yeah. and so you have to use those tools that is necessary to fight this spiritual battle. but not the, but that doesn't end there is it and the third thing is you don't have to fight alone as mentioned earlier you have the Holy Spirit that is fighting this battle with you. Now, I believe the church is critical. Community of faith is critical in the spiritual warfare. Why? Because what Pastor Chris mentioned earlier, we have a blind side. We will not be able to check ourselves well if we do not have a brothers and sisters that come alongside and say, yeah. hey, there is something happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe that when we recognize that there is a spiritual realm, that you have the tools necessary to fight, and you have the Holy Spirit and the community of faith that's battling with you, I believe that's the starting point.
0: Yeah. Great. And, and I would add, the, uh, I would agree with everything everybody said. Um, I would add, when it comes to spiritual warfare, we see biblically... Um, Satan didn't come with a stick and hit uh, Adam on the head, um, and that's kind of the wind and the rain, the physical thing. He came with a story, an ideology, Mm -hmm. a a lie. And Jesus, when he talks about Satan, he doesn't call him, he's just this really mean, bad dude. He calls him the father of lies. Every, every lie. He originated. He is the seed bearer of every lie. And so most of the time when you're in the shower and you're struggling and you're hearing things about how horrible you are, how bad you are, maybe there's a level of guilt and conviction that could be the Lord to say, hey, come to me and repent. But the enemy loves to turn that story into your identity. And then you start to hear things like, you're always this way. You are bad. Let me tell you, that's the enemy because you don't refer to yourself in third person very often. That's the enemy starting to speak into your life, get you to believe it because belief precipitates or pre- comes before actions and behaviors. And so he comes with a story. With an idea. And that's why we have, that's, this is why we're like, hey, read your Bible. Why? It gives you a different story. Yeah. It tells you the story of who God is and how gracious he is yeah. and how lovely he is. And if you're not reminded constantly of that story, you will veer and drift into the other story. Yeah. And that's how he comes.
1: You better get out the pool pit, Pastor Chris. Come on now.
2: Jeez.
0: Just kidding.
1: Uh, let's see if we can get um, maybe one or two in really quickly in the spirit of quickness. Uh, Let me get, uh, yes. Let me get question six. We're going to skip five. Let me get six. Ah, yes. As Christians, must we be pacifists or do we allow and encourage self-defense? Can we lay holy hands, Pastor G? Uh,
4: I would say if you come to my house, and you enters my house. If I don't know you. Amen, um, amen. Yeah, come to my house, and you decide to barge into my house. Walk it down. Yeah, and I'll give you the whole scenario if you want me to. And and, and you're wearing a mask if you want to, and it doesn't matter to me. Um, Come into my house. I feel the
1: spirit, Pastor G, come on now.
4: And then you want to harm my wife. Ah! And my two girls. I will arrange a meeting (laughs) for you to meet your maker. Amen. Amen. I'm just arranging the meeting. It's either you come to salvation or range. I, I do both. I do both. Um, you d- d- just just
0: rip out their still beating heart. Let them know Jesus. And then yes. one way or the other. I'll give my way. Heart of
3: stone
1: to a heart of flesh, brother, yesterday.
3: me jump. want me jump, we jump on that? The spirit of quickness? Okay. Yes. The spirit so, of quickness. Yeah, just to, to give a little context here again, historically. So, Early on, I think it's undisputed, the early church was definitely had a bias, and I don't mean in a bad way, but a leaning toward pacifism. Okay. Um, fast forward to the fifth century, a guy named Augustine of Hippo, one of the maybe the greatest theologian of all time, wrote just war theory. What happened in between? Well, in between, the Roman Empire became Christian. Okay. So it was easier for Christians, and I believe me, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, right? So that's where they got it, and then and uh, I think that should be our bias is, is toward pacifism and peace and because we're ultimately going to beat our swords into plowshares. That's where this whole thing is headed, right. okay? Right. Right. But what happened in between was that the Roman Empire became Christianized, okay? And then you've got Attila the Hun threatening the Roman Empire to destroy this Christian empire now that the Lord has created by... You know, giving Constantine this great sign in the sky, and he becomes a Christian, and then he protects the churches and all of this. And so somebody had to come up with a theology to explain how can we defend this uh, and still be in the spirit of what Jesus taught, okay? So that's how we get to just war theory. So Jesus said, one other example was Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, okay? But then in Luke 22, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, look, guys, you remember when I sent you out and I said, don't take a, a, money, a money bag, don't take uh, your sandals, don't take anything else. Did you need anything? And they said, no, no, everything was fine. Everything worked out, it was great. He said, well, I'm telling you now, if, if you've got a cloak, sell it and buy a sword. So how do you reconcile those two? And I think it goes back to what Kenny is saying. There's a nuance, okay, and so in between pacifism and you know, being a hawk, there's just war theory, which doesn't explain everything, Okay, But at the same time, you have to be able to hear the Lord and make a decision. But I think ultimately, we should be, you know, we ultimately realize we're ultimately headed toward peace. Yeah. Recognize that the sword is sometime necessary, but it should be a last resort.
0: I think, too, when we use the uh, turn the other cheek reference, um, when you're talking about um, self-defense, that's different. I think Jesus, when he's referring to turn the other cheek, he's talking about vengeance, We don't take vengeance and it's the same thing in the in the old testament when it talks about thou shalt not it's not kill it's murder um and so understanding that there is a level of nuance to the person the 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 personality and so if someone slaps you on one he actually says i mean you look up you meet them and you offer the other cheek because i refuse to take vengeance on myself now that's very different than protecting your family um, or, or uh, what the government is called to do in a protecting a nation and its values, and what it's called to do, but but it still gets to the heart of God, of allowing God. At the end, He is the one that will do it. And so, I'm in a defensive posture, not offensively. The only offensive posture I take is spiritual warfare, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, give it up for our wonderful panel.